Good morning, Calvary. We're starting a new series, and we know that there's a lot of people who are coming back from pandemic. We're welcome. Glad we're seeing more and more faces again. I just kind of want to set up where we're going with the series, because this is leading up into the Easter series. We're going to be going through Hebrews chapter 11 and looking at the stories, the Ebenezer stories of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, when you think of the word Ebenezer, some of you automatically think of Ebenezer Scrooge. That's not what we're talking about. But rather, Ebenezer means a stone of help. And it's the idea that we've, we've been talking about around here that we have a general purpose. And our general purpose is we exist to make followers that are make followers of Jesus. That we believe all of us are called to help people know that God is good and God is faithful in every circumstance. And that as you live out God's calling, you have a specific calling that you are also called to live out. In other words, we don't believe that you were made just to exist. That just existing is not much of an existence. And so when you find the hope of what God has called you to live out, when you, when you begin to walk in the presence of God day in, day out, and live out that calling, that's when the fruits of the Spirit, the peace, the patience, the love, the joy, the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, that's when all of those become manifest in your life, and your life changes in every circumstance. But as the story was just read, what we understand is not every circumstance is easy. In life, there are trials and there are tribulations. There are moments in which we will struggle to live our faith out the way that God has called us to live out our faith. And God can use these Ebenezer moments in our life, and I'm going to continue to find that here in just a moment, these Ebenezer moments of our life to point us to His faithfulness so that no matter what the circumstances of our life, we can trust God. See, what was going on in the time of Samuel is the people began sinning. In every generation, there's people who have to decide. We all have to decide, am I going to follow the God that has always been and always will be, or am I going to live my own way? And every generation struggles with that, and some generations do it better than others. And some people, But in Samuel's time, the people of Israel, the chosen people of God, had come to a place where they were like, God's with us, we can do what we want. Some of you didn't get that. God's with us, we can do what we want. It's kind of like saying, Mom and Dad love me, I can do what I want, right? Try it. Love doesn't mean that you aren't disciplined. Love doesn't mean that God won't get your attention. Love doesn't mean that your life will be cake and ice cream with no calories. The idea of what it looks like to follow Christ is the reality that he believes that you were made for a purpose and that history is really his story lived out through you and through me. And as we live out his story, we live out our calling. And as we live out our calling, the problem is, even if I'm following Christ as best I can, it doesn't mean you all are. It doesn't mean that Putin is. Amen? And when we come to this idea of what it looks like, to, the problem is sin always reverberates. Like ripples after a rock is thrown in an ocean, the sin ripples, and the farther you out, it just keeps going and going and going. And so when you sin, it will have a ripple effect to everyone around you. And so when we are living for Christ, 
The more of us that live for Christ, the more unified we'll be in mission, the less ripples there are, and the more that the gospel can be heard clearly. But even in the midst of the biggest waves of our life, God has not abandoned us, and He is faithfulness. God does not always... God allows the ripples, but He doesn't cause the ripples. Sin are the ripples in this metaphor, if you'll allow me. What we're trying to understand then is how are we faithful in the midst of the difficult times? I believe that's through these Ebenezer moments. We have Ebenezers in our house. You may not realize this, but it's that furniture that reminds you of the great aunt, right? Or an Ebenezer in your house is a picture that you hold on the wall to remind you of that memory when your kid was so cute. Remember when they used to be cute? Or, or maybe that trophy that reminded you when you won the third grade soccer trophy. Anybody else? Raise your hand. You know, let's, let's, let's own it. That way, Brent. We won it. We won. You know what? I don't know. I don't have a foggiest clue if my parents still own that third grade trophy. Why? Because a lot of the trophies we collect, the Ebenezer moments to celebrate what we have done in our past, are accomplishments that fade away. But the Ebenezer moments that we're looking to today will have a generational impact. So let's redefine Ebenezer more than a stone of hope. This is the definition that you're going to hear throughout the next coming weeks. An Ebenezer moment are markers of past hope fulfilled by God's faithfulness, giving us an assurance of future hope. Let that sink in. Markers of past hope fulfilled by God's faithfulness, giving us an assurance of hope. An assurance of hope. So as we chase this through, we're, we're going to see God's faithfulness through this. We're going to be reading in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and going through that. But before we get to Hebrews chapter 11, we need to set it up by going to Hebrews chapter 12. That seems backwards, except if you've been around here long enough, you know that Hebrews chapter 12 starts with a word that I love, therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you are to see what it is. Therefore, very good. We're paying attention. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, 1. Therefore, in other words, everything that happened in chapter 11, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 11 is the stories of the faithfulness of God through the lives of many of the Old Testament heroes. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For that joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of people who have gone before us, who have set an example through their faith, through their journey, through their pilgrimage, their Ebenezer stories, if you will, let us look to those faithful stories that God has shown us time and time and time again and let us continue in the path that God has called us both living out our general calling to help others see Jesus and living out our specific calling at Caterpillar, at SIA, at Purdue, at Battleground Middle. Let us live out our faith journey helping others see how good and faithful he is even when the ripples of this world seem overwhelming. And that's where we're going. We're seeing God's faithfulness through this. How does this play out? How does this play out through the story of what we read in Samuel? So what was going on in the story of Samuel is God's people, once again, believed that they could do whatever they want to, that God would still love them, right? 
And so he allowed the Philistines to come in because they started making poor choices. They weren't living as a unified nation. They were having all these people who were living the way they wanted to. And so the Philistines were able to come in and start to conquer God's people. And in the pattern of this, you'll see three different stages, seasons, if you will, that will happen in every Ebenezer moment, every Ebenezer story we have going forward. Seasons that can relate to you and me. The first season, helplessness. Helplessness realizes, uh uh-oh, this wave is over my head. They were being inundated by the Philistines. They, they couldn't surround them. They couldn't defend themselves. They were, they were helpless. And so in that helpless state, it's amazing when you're in a helpless state, the natural inclination of humanity is to go, God help, right? And in that moment from helplessness, once you realize you're in over your head, you go into a longer season, and that's a season of lament. Lament is... Not a fun word, but we're actually going through that through our series of Lent called A Lament. Check with us later if you want to know more. But the lamenting of the holiness of lamenting is a place that reminds us of God's sovereignty. And so the people were going, God, we can't fix this, so be with us. Do you realize, as Chris shared Wednesday in our Wednesday announcements, by the way, if you're not paying into those, you should really pay attention to those. And Wednesday, he, he told us and reminded us that two-thirds, almost two-thirds of the Psalms of David are laments. God, this is hard. God, this is struggling. God, I don't understand, but you are faithful. See, lamenting is different than helplessness because lamenting is commiserating in the circumstances of your life while still attributing that God is holy and good and just. Lamenting is holy when we recognize that God is on His throne. You want to know an example of lamenting, a modern-day example of lamenting? Look on Facebook, but not at Great Aunt's story, okay? But at the Ukrainian church right now, who today gathered in the subways underneath the ground because it's the safest place and even though there are shells going on around them i've read story after story of churches gathering not knowing what tomorrow's going to be and saying god you are faithful then and you will be faithful now and even if the russians come in and they destroy our lives we will worship you lamenting is the place where we say this world is not our home Lamenting is the place where we we recognize that there is a hope beyond because ultimately lamenting points us to the fact in every single Ebenezer story that victory is secured. That's the third phase. Victory. Now, victory does not mean that you're going to be able to be rich and have no problems. Victory is the place where we remind ourselves that God is the king and we get to live in his kingdom and serve him And God is faithful to help us live out our calling Worshipping him living in accordance with his plans and living out his calling for our life In other words, we get the peace. We get the joy. We get the long-suffering. We get the kindness and it all begins to work in our life Victory is secured because of what Jesus already did for us on the cross When he died on the cross for us, he guaranteed that no matter what may happen on this world, one day we will no longer suffer. We will no longer fail. Victory is coming. So that's the background of where we're going with this series. 
That's the background of the Ebenezer idea. It is coming to the realization that there are markers of past hope fulfilled by God's faithfulness, how He's been faithful, and giving us an assurance of future hope. So, what does it actually say in Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11.1 1 is where we're reading today through 2a. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. This is how we find our Ebenezer moments. Faith is the reality, what is real, what is assured, what is certain, for what is hoped for, and the proof of what is not seen. So let's define faith. Faith is hope expressed in daily life. Faith is hope expressed in daily life. You know how I know that we practice faith all the time? We all came in and we sat in a chair. You may have heard this illustration before. That's all right. I doubt any of you came in here this morning and looked at the chair and you're sitting there thinking, huh, will this chair hold me? I, I wonder if, if this is a trick that Calvary's placing on me and every third chair is going to collapse. No, you didn't do that, right? You came in and you sat down with what? The assurance or the hope that that thing was going to hold you. Has anybody ever seen a meme or a story or a YouTube video where a chair fails, right? It happens, but for whatever reason, you had the assurance today that that chair was going to hold you, and so you sat down. This is what faith is. Faith is learning in the assurance that God is who He says He is, so that when the trials come, you aren't sitting there going, will this hold me? You sit down and rest in the lap of the Father who's going to take care of you and protect you and provide you. And even if it costs us our life, guess what? As a follower of Jesus, we get to spend forever with God in eternity. Victory is secured. So we live out that faith knowing that if I have a paradigm shift in my life, I'm not just having a strategy of following God. The paradigm shift is I'm going to live holistically for the way that God has called me to live. I'm buying into the fact that He has a purpose for me, that just existing is not much of an existence, that I'm going to have a calling and a purpose, and I live out that faith. What I'm really doing is I'm living out hope. So what is hope? Hope is essential because our spiritual journey is not yet complete. So what is hope? Hope is belief in God's sovereignty. Isn't it funny and ironic? If you Once again, we have a lot of people who are starting to come back from the pandemic, so I just want to make sure. I've said this not too long ago, but I want to make sure you, you get this. Isn't it ironic how much emphasis the church puts on hope, and rightly so? But the reality is, you know what you don't find in heaven? Hope. There may be a girl named Hope in heaven, but that's a different story. The characteristic of hope will not be found in heaven. Why? Because hope implies life is not fulfilled now. Hope implies that there's better days of heaven, and one day hope will cease. And we have the faith to believe that, because one day we will be in our reality that is constantly assured. That's why faith and hope will one day fade away, but love never will. So as we're living out our lives, we, we live in the hope that this world is not our home, which means lamenting will happen. Which means that we have to trust in God through those moments. 
So we look to our Ebenezer moments. We look to these assurances of our faith. And as we're going to be walking through Hebrews chapter 11, we find the Old Testament stories which point through the lens of a New Testament faith that give us the assurance of hope that allows us to extrapolate our own Ebenezer stories, our own faith Polaroid moments, for those of you who are over the age of 20. Our faith snapshots that remind us that God has never failed us. But let me give you one background caution and hope that is exciting. The greatest Ebenezer in your life will not be found in a memory. The greatest Ebenezer we have is the cross. Because, see, Jesus died for you and for me, and if we have a relationship with him, the reason that people are supposed to wear crosses around their neck is not because they're cool. The reason that we wear crosses and we have the symbol of the cross is to to remind us of the faith that was fulfilled when Jesus took upon the world's punishments upon our shoulders and lived out. So the greatest Ebenezer we have is the fact that Jesus did that, and the greatest Ebenezer stone is the stone that's not in front of the tomb anymore because the tomb is empty. But in our life, we have the personal Ebenezers as well. So that's where we're going to try to challenge you. We're going to try to challenge you over this next few weeks to find your personal calling and to live that out. And as you find that personal calling, to trust that God will be faithful through it. Samuel lived it out. And so we've challenged you the last few weeks to try to come up with your 12 to 15 word personal calling stories. 12 to 15 words for some of you has meant 12 to 15 paragraphs, but I appreciate it. You know, you you sent me those, and I, I love it. And if you haven't done that, let me just encourage you, wrestle with that. We're going to give you some more examples. So here's an example. This is possibly Samuel's personal calling. Samuel existed to glorify God by mobilizing faith within the hearts of God's people through discernment, proclamation, and unwavering obedience. Samuel existed to glorify God by mobilizing faith within the hearts of God's people through discernment, proclamation, and unwavering obedience. He called God's people to rally around the fact that their faith had fallen away. He proclaimed that if we follow God, he will do that. He set up an Ebenezer stone that said the Philistines will no longer conquer us, and in Samuel's lifetime, they did not conquer anymore. He said, by following God, we will be faithful. And the reverberations of that, which we still feel today, So what's your calling? How are you living? Daniel Berry exists. My personal calling is for personal transformation in leaders and churches expressed by means of regenerative vulnerability and maximizing divine giftedness. So when I stand up on a stage, what I'm, I'm trying to do is get you to, to personally transform your life and understand your calling. You might hear that over and over again. To, to be challenged to say, God has a purpose for you, and it's not to retire at age 52, although you may retire at age 52, but that's not the ultimate purpose, right? The ultimate purpose of your life isn't to kick up your heels and to watch the rest of the world fight. The ultimate purpose of your life isn't to have 2.3 kids and a cat and a dog and a half-picket fence that no one faints. That was, uh, never mind strike that one the purpose you have is to live out your life for the glory of God 
And the way that we remind ourselves through the turbulation of our world is to look to God. So let's unpack this. Let's set the stage for where we're going. Because I know when many of us come into church, we have a lot going on. Maybe you're right now dealing with um, uncertainty of your health and somebody in your family. And you're, you're wondering through the lamentation of that. God, where are you? How am I going to live for you? Maybe you came in today and your marriage is on its last leg. And you're sitting there going, God, I, I don't know what to do. Maybe you, you came in today and, and you're struggling about your job or your future. Or maybe your family put the fun in dysfunction. You know what I'm saying? And you're sitting here agonizing. You're going, God, how can you be faithful? Let's look not at those moments, but let's look back to the moments in our past where God has been faithful. Instead of asking the what if, let's talk about who he is. He is faithful. He is just. He is kind. He is loving. He is not going to forget you nor forsake you. Your victory is secured, and even if this life is taken from you, you get to live forever with him. So the faithful journey of our story is found by looking to the past of God's faithfulness. So when you're having a struggle right now, this is maybe an Ebenezer moment, but it may not be the one we're talking about. So here's our a little unusual thing today. I'm going to share the daily training, and then I'm going to tell you three stories, okay? So bear with me a little bit longer. But the daily training is this. I want you to identify three past Ebenezer moments in your life and apply these lessons of faithful hope from the moments to your future. Identify up to three Ebenezer moments in your life. What are the three stages that you have to have in Ebenezer moments? You've got to have the state of helplessness. You've got to have a, the idea of lamenting. And you have to have the idea of victory. And in those moments, I want you to look back and see how God has been faithful so that you can have assurance of faith to sit in the presence of God and rest in Him just like you sat in your chair today without examining over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing this, looking at these stories. And I want you to unpack your stories so that you can match them with the stories we're going to share in the Bible and then have these conversations in small groups. Have these conversations around the dinner table of God's faithfulness because the most powerful things you can share are things you know. That's why we say around here, share what you know. And as God has been faithful in your life, you can do that and share that with others. Okay? So let's talk about three Ebenezer stories in my life. There was a time when Emily had uh, just retired, retired because our son was uh, about to be born. And we had a whopping $23 in our bank account. And our house had a $5,000 problem. We found out about the $5,000 problem and we had $23 in the bank account. And I remember going, I don't know what to do. And all those moments of, I feel like a lousy husband, our marriage is going to struggle. I don't know. Do we go to the bank? Whatever. And all of these feelings. And I remember just crying out to God. Well, the very next day in the mail, the U.S. Postal Service does not work this quick. So this is how this works, okay? So this was mailed before we found out about the problem. We got a letter from Emily's grandfather saying, I want you to enjoy your inheritance now. Do with it as you will. And it was a check for $5,000. Did you get that? So at the end of that, we didn't have a bunch of money. We had 
But what we had was God saying, I've got you. Now, here's the irony of that. If we'd have gotten that like two days earlier, me and the missus, we'd have gone to Chili's like you wouldn't have believed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ikea up in this house. You know what I'm saying? We, we were young and foolish, and we, that's the reason we had $23 at the time, right? But God gave it at just the right time, and it, it wasn't too late. So we'd gone out, and God, at just the right moment. Now, could he have done it a myriad of ways? Would it have killed me to have to call a parent or go to the bank to get a loan? No, but God showed us his faithfulness in those moments. And, and right now, there's probably many of us are going, if that's what an Ebenezer moment is, sign me up for one of those, Right? I got a list right now. But Ebenezer moments don't always turn out. The victory isn't always so sitcom finish ending good. You know what I'm saying? Because the second Ebenezer I want to share with you is one that I've shared with you before. When I lost two students, I was a college minister in a car wreck. And I remember standing on the side of the road and in that moment, knowing that two of my students had passed away, and I'm looking out into the I-75 there just south of Lexington, Kentucky, and I see 40 of my other students or so standing there, and I remember going, God, help. I don't know what to do. I was the leader. And it was as if in that moment, God, his arms wrapped around me like the greatest weighted blanket the world has ever known. And through the lamenting in the pain and the sorrow, I felt God say, I've got you. I wouldn't want any of you to go through that. But that was an Ebenezer moment for me because God did not fail me. The third one is a story that's not quite as sad. It's a fact, it's a story about why I became a college minister for 13 years before I became a pastor. It's that I really struggled with my faith, so I went off to Howard Payne University, home of the Mighty and Fighting Yellow Jackets, Stingham. I would surrender to ministry, and while I was there, I really struggled with my faith. Was this the faith of my own, or is this my parents' faith? And I love walking college students through that, right? And what I realized later on was that my faith was real. I just had to ask some hard questions. You know what I'm saying? But in asking some hard questions, I didn't feel safe going anywhere to ask those, so I kind of wrestled around with like one other person, and, and I did what any good legalistic Christian would do. I jumped into it more. And I, I surrendered and, um, to preaching for these set of revivals. Now, preaching revivals when you're struggling with your faith is not ideal, and I don't recommend it. I'm just trying to be transparent and vulnerable with you, what I did. In fact, when I started preaching, there was three of us on a team, and we went to these tiny churches with like 30 people who couldn't afford real pastors. They got me, right? And it was Texas. The guys had belt buckles that said Bubba. I mean, it was everything you thought of at the time. And, and I, I walked in, and I was preaching these. And I, every, I noticed a pattern after the first two weeks. There was our, my youth guy named Scott who would preach one night a week. And the nights he preached, everybody came forward and like made a decision to follow Christ. And I was like, this it made me mad. Scott's a great guy. I loved him, but I'm like, I'm supposed to be the pastor. And jealousy started, and I was wrestling with my faith. It was about the third weekend. A young girl named Eva came. And Eva was deaf. We didn't have an interpreter. And so through the course of the conversation, I started writing out what Scott was saying. The problem was I can't write that fast, and my penmanship's not that good. 
And over the course of that conversation, I started going, forget what Scott's saying, let's just me and you. And I started saying, Eva, does, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And she went, no. And I wish I could tell you, but something about writing out my story was an Ebenezer moment right there. Where God used that situation to say, see, Daniel, I'm real, I'm here, I care. And in that moment, I got excited, but because I was following God's will in that moment, right? God used that moment to help Eva follow Christ. And she received Jesus that day as well. And so we went to the pastor because I wasn't the pastor, and he said, Eva, we need to do an Ebenezer moment. We didn't call it that at the time. He didn't say those words, but we need to follow with baptism. We need to have this moment cemented in your mind so that you can remember how he's been faithful. And he said, I can baptize you or Daniel can baptize you. And she looked at me and she said, I want you to baptize me. So Eva became the first person I ever baptized. And as I got her in that water, and I looked at her in that crowd of about 30 people, and I said, Eva, does Jesus live in your heart? And she said, yes. And as I baptized her in that water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I raised her up out of the water, she looked out, we looked out, both of us, and the entire church, all 30 or 35 of them were going like this, which is the death sign for clapping. And it was as if in that moment, God said, see, Daniel, I just need you to be available. Go where I send you. And in that moment, I never dreamed I would be in the middle of beans and corn for miles and miles and miles. But God used that moment to remind me He has been faithful, will be faithful. We remember those moments to keep us faithful in the future going through a difficult circumstance, we'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. There'll be some of us up front. I'm not trying to discount. You don't have to fake it. The Ukrainian church today is not faking it. But we believe that victory is on the end. It may not look like you want it to look, but victory will come. We can trust it. God, I thank you for the faithful moments and our stories of your faithfulness. We ask God today that you would move here now that as we respond to you in worship, we would feel your presence. God, that for somebody in this room right now, the shackles of sin are going to be broken. And we believe that you can do that in the power of your name. God, that healing needs to take place. That brokenness needs to be restored. For you are good and faithful and just and loving and kind. You have never failed us, nor will you ever fail us. God, you love us despite our sin in an unconditional, unfathomable way sometimes. But yet, God, here we are. We desire to be in your presence. So, God, restore us, reconcile us, bring us back into what it looks like to be faithful to live out our callings, to be faithful to live for you, to remember how you've been faithful in our past and to trust you with our futures. We rejoice because you are the king and will always be the king. And we will praise you forevermore. Amen.